I cannot hear that song, How Great Is Our God, without thinking of Jared Farron's. Uh, every time that song comes on, I probably tell the story, but he was telling me one time he was driving in the car and that song came on and we were talking about worship and how we should worship God and we could sing to God, how we should sing to God. And Jared, all six foot seven of them, is driving in his car by himself, singing How Great Is Our God at the top of his lungs, uh, like one sings in the shower when they're home alone. So... Uh, that's how I recommend we worship when we're really truly worshiping God, is that it's just uh, it's, it's unhindered worship to God. Um, a little bit of housekeeping real quick. Uh, someone asked me this morning about giving uh, finances. They went in the bathroom and said, oh, you guys have done some cool stuff in there. And we talked about, you know, just how quickly we got it done. And then I asked Jared, who does some of our finances or does our finances, and he had said several people have been asking about this online giving, and I've always been a little bit opposed to it, um, just because I don't want it to feel like it's an Excel energy bill uh, or a, a, an automatic transfer, and, and uh, that's how I've, I've felt about it for a long time, because um, I'll, I'll look at websites and churches, and one of the first things on these websites are, here, you know, it, not, we're, we're here for you to help you grow in your faith, but uh, hey, this is how you give money, and if you can't make the church, you can still give. So click on this button and, and Venmo us your, your offering. And that just has never sat well with me, but I understand for, in today's day and age, it's a lot easier to give uh, from our hearts um, from, a, from a computer, because uh, that's how we pay a lot of our bills. So I completely understand it. So we're working on doing that for the people that have asked Jared about it and asked me about it. Where can I do that if you want to give? And I don't preach a whole lot on giving uh, because I just, I just don't. I mean, I, it's never been something I've been really convicted on to preach about it. Um, I do believe the Bible calls us to give, and maybe we'll take a, a break, and I'm sure we'll come into it here, chapter 6, giving to the needy. Uh, at some point, giving is going to come up in the near future on uh, giving our resources that God has given to us uh, to be good stewards of. And so we will, um, at some point, probably pretty soon, have a, a teaching series or something on what God says about giving back to him and how we do that and all that. So anyway, I don't want to get in the weeds too much on that. I um, want a quick prayer, another housekeeping thing, a quick prayer request for Bina. She texted me this morning and said they did not remove all the cancer. And so she's going to wait to hear from the doctors about uh, what type of chemo she's going to be on. Uh, she was going to come to church this morning, but the pills she's on uh, are pretty tiring. So uh, she says, I'll be back when I'm dark. And then I knew it was an autocorrect, and she said, ha-ha, I meant better or something like that. So she's in good spirits, uh, but types like I do on a text message. Um, so if you, would, if you would keep it in your thoughts to pray for Bina and the cancer, uh, and that it can uh, hopefully get just removed. Um, lastly, I think my dad just pound, uh, uh, passed out. I, I gave him the wrong ones to, for our, our verses this morning. Does everybody have the verse sheet? If not, do we have any extras? We have a couple extras. Does anybody want a verse sheet? Real quick. Thank you. Yeah. And you can take notes on it. It's just I like to have them because I move fast oftentimes through the message. And it's nice to be able to look back later on and say, what did he say about that? So if you have it, great. Uh, if not, let's get started. So 
As you know, we've gone over the Beatitudes. We started out with uh, the first eight Beatitudes, or the eight Beatitudes starting in Matthew 5. Uh, we've gone through that over the last eight to ten weeks, or twelve weeks, and I'm going to read those one more time. Uh, and it says here, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, sat down, and his disciples came to him. And Jesus said to them, he opened his mouth, and he taught them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you uh, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now in the beginning of this chapter, we recognize that Jesus is teaching us these Beatitudes. He's teaching us what it looks like to be a follower of him. He's got these crowds around him. He's, 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 he's talking to them. He's teaching them. He's teaching them God's ways, and he's saying, when you follow these ways that I'm telling you, you will be blessed. He's saying that when you're humble and you have mercy and you have a self-assessment and you have purity and you have empathy and you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, these are the lifestyle choices and decisions that we make in order to receive the blessings uh, from God. And I, I believe that we ought to consider ourselves very fortunate to have something in writing that we can actually look at and read and study and read commentate, you know, commentation on it. And we can talk to other believers that are led by the Spirit and say, what do you think Jesus means here? Well, he goes on to say, after he instructs us about these attributes and, and, and that these blessings await those who follow his ways, we see a very direct teaching that directly follows these blessings these Beatitudes. And in Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works or your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now it's Matthew 5.13 verse is what we're going to be focused on today, which is you are the salt of the earth. When I read this and I read it and I read it and I read it, <coughs> read it again, I found it interesting that this, is, this isn't really a command. He doesn't say be the salt of the earth. And if you notice in other teachings with Jesus, he says, be happy. It's a command. He says, repent. It's a command. He says, forgive one another. It's a command. Love one another. It's a command. But this seems to be suggesting that this is who they are. It's a statement. You are the salt of the earth. This is who you are as disciples. This is who you are as followers of Christ. And when I look at that, the, the fact that he's talking you know, to the crowds and he opened his mouth and he taught his disciples, and I, I look at myself and I go, well, I'm a, I'm a disciple. Does that mean I'm the salt of the earth? 
your, your disciples of Jesus, you're disciplined after his teachings. You accept his teachings. Does that mean you are the salt of the earth? And I just, I found it as I read that command, and I, or I read that statement, you know, there's different statements throughout the scriptures that it's just like, ins, it's, he's insinuating, or it, it's, it's basically expected to understand that they're going to be these things, or they're going to do these things. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, uh, for you are, he says this, let's go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, it's a, it's a similar statement when he says, but you will receive power. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. He says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power in the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I was listening to a Bible scholar teach one time at a, at a church, and he said that the way that that's worded in the Greek where he says you will be is not suggesting that they're going to be that. It is saying this is who you're going to be. You're going to be my witnesses. It's, it's, this, it's this matter of fact, this is the way it is. It's kind of the same thing in... In, uh, in, in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. It sounds like a command, which it is a command. But he says, go and make disciples. You're going to be doing these things. And when he says, you are the salt of the earth, I see that as a similar teaching. It's like, this is who you are. You're the salt. You are the salt, Ryan, of the earth. What do you suppose that means? How does that affect us, out of the mouth of babes? I'm guessing your answer is probably going to be better than mine. How does that affect us when he says, you are the salt? What does that mean? Have you heard that term? Especially, it seems like in our, kind of our culture, a little bit more, uh, we're a little bit more rural feeling, more country. Have you heard that saying about someone when he says, oh, he, he's the salt of the earth? That, that guy, that, that guy there, he's the salt of the earth. Or she, and she is the salt of the earth. That family, that family, they are the salt of the earth. That's a very high compliment. That's not someone that they would use to describe someone who's prideful or arrogant or selfish or angry. It never describes somebody with those personality traits as the salt of the earth. It's always said in reverence and love. It's always said like, man, they are, they are just the salt of the earth. Honest, hardworking, sacrificial, humble, gentle, loving, just. Those are the attributes of these people when someone says, man, that guy, he is the salt of the earth. Those are the attributes that are used when they describe someone like that. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, that's who you are. Now, in the days of Christ, kind of a little bit of history on salt. In the days of Christ, salt had a very high value. Uh, one one commentator put that the Romans taught that salt was the purest of all things because it came from the purest of all things, the sea and the sun. Uh, in Roman times and throughout the Middle Ages, salt was a valuable commodity, also referred to as white gold. This high demand for salt was due to its important use in preserving food, especially meat and fish. Being so valuable, soldiers in the Roman army were sometimes paid with salt instead of money. Their monthly allowance was called salarium, sal, being the Latin word for salt, uh, this Latin root can be recognized in the French word. Anybody speak French? Okay, good. Salaire? 
I think that's, I don't, huh? Who? Where's Lane? Lane, how do you say that? No, Solaire, S-A-L, how would it, I mean, how do you, how do you roll with it? Like, in Spanish, I can do buenos dias. I can say in Spanish, but how do you do it in French? Salar? Asher does too? You guys are all getting called out for your linguists. Well, that word comes from salarium, which means sal, and it eventually made its way into the English language for salary. So we receive, the, we receive a salary. It comes from the root word salarium, which comes from salarium, which comes from salt. They were paid in salt. Um, when he says we are the salt, the question begs, how do we, uh, what are we to be like? Who are we to represent? How do we represent being the salt of the earth? And so we're going to look at uh, three different ways that I think Jesus could be referring to when he says you are the salt of the earth. And it's kind of interesting, this morning I was thinking this might happen. Uh, I was, have you, have you seen that movie Jesus Revolution? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Did you like it? I, I loved it. Like, I, I, I was on the edge of tears a couple different times in the movie. And, you know, when the hippie movement was starting in, in, in uh, is it Costa Mesa or right over there, and I think Rick and I talked about it some. I mean, obviously, like anything else, it kind of, it can veer off. And Rick's got some pretty interesting stories, I think, that you've shared it at men's Bible study about what it was like. Um, but I gotta tell you, I, I was sitting there in the I was sitting there in the in the movie last night with Brenda and, and Titus and a friend of his and, and I thought, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through my sermon this morning because I was so convicted by the movie and the fact that it feels like we're getting into another Jesus revolution time frame. And I wonder if God is placing certain people in government and certain people in social settings, that there's going to be this major change in our society for the better for, for, for Christians. That there's going to be people with more boldness that are going to stand up and speak the truth and speak the truth in love. And if you haven't seen Jesus Revolution, I, it's one of the, I mean, I always want to recommend movies like Lone Survivor or Braveheart, or American Sniper, and Brenda's like, you can't recommend those from the pulpit. Well, I'm recommending Jesus Revolution. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a good movie. Um, so if I bounce back and forth, this is the way it's going to be today. So hopefully you can follow me. That's why we have the sheets. So salt, what, is, what does it mean when it says you are the salt of the earth? Um, well, salt represents purity. That's one of the three, three things that we see as we look through. We have the salt of the earth. Salt represents purity. And how do you preserve something if you're not pure? We are called to be the living example of Jesus here on earth. That's what Christians are called to be, the living example of Jesus. Pornography, theft, covetousness, anger, pride, coarse joking, etc. is not purity. And Jesus is telling us that in order to be the salt, we must be pure. And Jesus calls us to live as Jesus did, to show our lives that we are, the fruits of us are being led by the Holy Spirit. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, 
And he says this about the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 22, many of us can quote that. It's maybe on a, it's maybe on a piece of wood in our house, uh, written with you know, paint or whatever that our kids did at a VR, or what do you call it, VBS, Vacation Bible School. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when you see Jesus, or you read the words of Jesus, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, and salt is, is, a, is a symbol of purity, and the fruits of the Spirit are obviously purity, the fruits of the Spirit are good, can you look at this list, can I look at this list and go, man, I am really loving. I am full of joy. I am full of peace. I am extremely full of patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and, he's, and, I, and I look at this, these, this list that Paul gives the church at Galatia about the fruits of the Spirit, I feel like what God is saying here in, Gala- in, uh, in, in Matthew is like, you are the salt. These are the, these are the attributes of your, these are the character traits that you must show others through your fruits, through your lifestyle, that shows you are the salt of the earth. You are to be pure. Now this is a, a list here that's obviously um, attainable. Some of you are going to say, this is a difficult list. Well, yeah, patience is difficult until you practice patience and you practice patience and you practice patience and pretty soon you're a patient person. Kindness is a, is a, is a good attribute. Sometimes it's difficult to be kind, especially to the bank teller or the gas station attendant, or the lady charging you three bucks to get in to watch a high school baseball game. It's hard to be kind to someone like that. But the, but the fruit of the Spirit is just that. There's an old saying that you can fool some of the people all the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. So when I look at, when I look at the teaching of Jesus, when he's basically saying, this is who you are going to be, people are going to recognize us by our fruits. They're going to recognize us by how we act. They're going to recognize us whether or not we show the fruits of the Spirit. Um, one of the things that I, I've, one of the passages that I've read a lot is the book of Timothy, because uh, Paul writes this, two letters to Timothy, and Timothy was a young pastor, and so early on, a young preacher, and early on, uh, I read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy quite a bit, and Titus. Um, and in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy, and he says in verse 12, verse 11, Command and teach these things, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So that is something that we are called when he says, you are the salt of the earth. And here's, here's what I want to get across to all of us. This is not just recommendations for the disciples that were listening to the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. 
This is, if we are disciples, these are, these are areas in our lives where I believe that God is calling us to try and be better at, to constantly work at, to work on the, the, uh, the, the purity in our lives. Um, the other, another example or another thing that I think when it says you are the salt of the earth is salt is a preservative. Now this is where it started to hit me pretty hard um, when I was talking last week about I might get a little political, uh, is that salt is a preservative. And there's a passage in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, I forget which book, where, what it says, that, that a soldier does not get involved in civilian affairs. And so I've read that passage and I've asked myself that passage, asked myself about that passage 50 times. Is that referring to getting involved in politics? Is that, is that referring to getting involved in social matters? Civilian affairs, worldly affairs. And I've thought about that a lot because I get pretty amped up about the different things that happen in our world. And, and with the school board, I talked to the, one of the heads of the school board uh, uh, yesterday. He called me about, he's a, he's a baseball umpire, but he also called me about some baseball things that happened. An umpire made a really bad call. I was the salt of the earth. I was very patient. I was very kind, right? I thought. I didn't say anything that I wouldn't be willing to say in front of you guys. Uh, nothing came out of my mouth that I would have been embarrassed to get recorded. I was just making a point that uh, he was inept, um, which he was. I mean, being loving doesn't mean you're going to lie. I mean, I was being truthful. And this salt being a pre preservative and, and as, as part of God, Jesus saying you're the salt of the earth, is that do we get involved with politics? Do we get involved with the school board? Um, do we get involved in our, our social circle? And do we share the faith, uh, our faith in love and truth? Do we stand up for truth? Or do we just kind of agree to disagree? Do we live a quiet life and not ruffle any feathers? And um, the more I think about this, the more I believe that our duty and our role and our, and our blessing is that we get to be involved in a spiritual battle and stand up for truth. And what, I mean, I believe that we can take, we can take secular teachings that if, if, if good men do nothing, evil will prevail. And, and we, look throughout the, we look throughout the Bible and I think we see constantly Paul, Peter, we see, uh, we, we, we see Jesus standing up for truth and he's standing up for, for goodness and morality. And uh, if we're supposed to preserve, if, if salt is a preservative, which is what it is, I mean, it was used for meats and fish, and we'll read about that here in a minute, but um, if it's a preservative, our job, is we are the salt of the earth, is to preserve this world from spoiling. And oftentimes we're, we're, we're attacked from the other side that says, don't be judgmental, don't speak out against these things, and I just, I totally disagree with that belief system. In Romans chapter 1, and we see Paul, and he, he's talking here, and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it to them. And then he goes on to say, Claiming to be wise, in verse 20, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's talking about idolatry. So he's referring to, in his time, he's writing to Christians, and he's referring to the idolatrous nation that's happening right in front of his eyes. And then he says, therefore, because of this, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And then he goes on, 
And since they did not, in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He's drawing this line in the sand about what is okay morally and spiritually and what is not okay. And he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. I have a hard time with that word. Covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. He's got this whole laundry list of things that he's saying these people are living like this because God gave them over to a depraved mind. So if we're not to get involved, then why is Paul writing a letter to the church at Rome saying this is what they're doing? And if you go back to, if you go back to Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is something that I've, I've read so many commentaries from churches all over the place that basically wipe out a lot of these sins and say, no, they're okay. We have misunderstood what the writer meant. But it's so clear when it's written when he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives this long list of things. He's saying, this is wrong. But, but society is telling Christians to be quiet, to don't judge, to mind your own business, to let it be what it's going to be. And, I, and when it, when it, if salt, salt is a preservative and we are called to be the salt of the earth, we are saying you are the salt of the earth. You are who, what's going to keep this world from spoiling. This is your job. This is what we do. Now, speaking the truth in love is key. But speaking the truth is key. And speaking the truth in love is key. Those two go together, truth and love. Not condemning, but loving, but truthful. And uh, years ago, this guy, um, I, will, I will use this analogy for the rest of my life. And it, uh, Gavin Whitrock, we were at a Bible study one time, and he says, what's happened with the world and the church is this. You have... You have the, the church right here. This is the beginning of the church. Jesus is teaching and preaching. He ascends into heaven. This is a little baggy. Yeah, it's just a little, not, just a little bag. I, it was up here, and I forgot the race cars that I was going to bring this morning from the kids' room, and I, I just spaced it. So these happen to be on the stand. So you have the church, and then you have the world. And in the church is the morals and the beliefs and the teachings and the, how we're supposed to live. And then you have the world of what they say. And what's happened from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, or Acts 1, is this. The, the, the church has just barely stayed behind the world, and we say, well, we're okay, because we're not as bad as the world. Well, what should have happened, this is Gavin's analogy, what should have happened is this. 
The church is what Jesus said it is. The teachings are what Jesus said they were. If the world wants to go as far off the course as they're going to go, that should not determine what the church does. And eight years ago, eight years ago, this article was written. It was a Pew Research Center article, and it was published in 2015, and I'm going to quote it. The Supreme Court, quote, the Supreme Court ruling earlier this year legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide has continued to raise questions about how the decision will affect religious groups, especially those that remain opposed to allowing gay and lesbian couples to wed. This is when the big gay marriage scene came out, you know, and it went to the Supreme Court. The court's ruling makes clear that clergy and religious organizations are not obliged to perform same-sex marriages, but some groups have expressed concerns about their tax-exempt status. Many of the largest U.S. religious institutions have remained firmly against allowing same-sex marriage, including the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Jewish Movement, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as the Southern Baptist Convention and other evangelical Protestant denominations. The nation's largest historically black church, the National Baptist Convention, and its biggest Pentecostal denomination, the Assemblies of God, also prohibit their clergy from marrying same-sex couples. So there's a big group of churches back in 2015 that were saying, no, we're not going to approve this, even though it's a Supreme Court ruling. Well, back to the article. At the same time, in the past two decades, several other religious groups also have moved to allow same-sex couples to marry within their traditions. This includes the Reform and Conservative Jewish movements, the Unitarian Universalist Association, and the United Church of Christ. And the list is growing. Clergy from the Episcopal Church will be able to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies after the church. General Convention recently approved a new definition of marriage. Another mainline Protestant denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, voted to formally sanction same-sex marriage earlier this year. The job of the church is to keep it from spoiling. Now, I am not attacking homosexuality. We could name many, many, many sins that the church is just like, you know what, it's okay. Cohabitation, it's okay. We can go down the list of things that we say as a church, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But scripturally, when you look, when you read, uh, when you read, um, uh, the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament, when you read the letters by Paul, when you read the, the teachings of Jesus, when you see that there's this moral standard that we are called to uphold to, that's when he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are there to keep the world from spoiling. Because these things that, that I'm talking about, they will spoil the flesh. They will spoil the soul. And God calls us to be the salt. Is that too, I mean, is that, if I ever run for politics, that you guys will be able to hear this sermon again, but in snippets. They'll just take out a few parts here and there, and I'm going to be a homophobe or transphobe or whatever, and that's whatever. Doug Levinson said, you should run for school board. I said, man, we need to get rid of all of our recordings, Jared, if I'm going to run for school board. Or maybe not. Let's leave them up. You can never, you can never explain yourself fully, because you'll be on page 27 of the newspaper. 
Um, so salt is a preservative. We are called as the body of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, to keep this world from spoiling and to stand firm on it. Um, lastly, salt adds flavor. I, I can't tell you guys uh, how long I've watched, well, I can tell you, ever since I was a kid, I, a young, I mean, four, five, six years old, and I looked at, at specifically church men, and I saw church men being uh, portrayed as very weak, uh, very uh, boring, um, just not someone that I wanted to be like. It's just how it was portrayed within our culture. And uh, as I, as I, the older I get and the more I understand Jesus and the more I understand, you know, I read his stories and I see what a tough guy he was and, and you know, working with his hands and, and bold and courageous, my, per, my perception for you young guys uh, and for you young girls looking hopefully uh, for a, a, a godly man one day um, is to see someone that's, that's, that's the, the essence of manhood is who Jesus was, but that's not what's been portrayed. In fact, we see within Christianity a lot of times, like, oh, I've been persecuted for my faith, and, you know, we see that within Christianity, and, and I look at Acts chapter 5, and I see just the opposite. I see Peter and John going out preaching the gospel, going back into the Sanhedrin. they like, we told you to be quiet, and they're like, well, we got to obey God, not you. They said, look, don't do it again. So they beat them. They beat Peter and John. They literally beat them. And then they left. And it says that they were rejoicing. They weren't like, man, I hope Jesus comes back soon. This is terrible. We just got beat and my arm, shoulders broke and I got a headache now. My nose is bleeding. No, they got beat and they rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering disgrace. And so when, it's, when it says salt adds flavor to things, we've got to look at this as there's a vitality that comes from being a Christian man and a Christian woman. There's a strong, active, energetic spirit, a spirit of power that God gives to his people when you're the salt of the earth. And I've, some of you have heard this story before, but years ago, uh, over 20, well, how long have we been married? 18 years ago. About 20 years ago, um, I was framing houses here in Grand Junction, and there was a guy named Jason who started working uh, with me, and he and I got on the crew about the same time, and we got to talking, and I was very, I was just, just about to get married, so it's maybe 19 years. Uh, I had just become a follower. I had just become a dedicated Christian. I, I mean, I just gave my life to the Lord, and I was just very adamant and outspoken, very zealous for God, and Every Monday or Tuesday or whatever, we'd sit and eat lunch together, and we would talk about the weekend. Well, Jason, I got to know him. Jason grew up in a Christian home. He said, I listened to Christian music my whole life growing up. And uh, he goes, it just didn't stick. And so Jason had had some pretty, he'd spent jail time and had made some bad decisions and things like that. Well, he continued to make these bad decisions. He continued to party a lot and go to the, these different places of uh, uh, employment for females that weren't conducive for spiritual growth, and, and so he'd show up to, 
he would show up to uh, work on Monday and we'd talk about, you know, we'd talk about his, his weekend. And a couple of the guys there, uh, Clint was another one, and um, Brian, Clint, Brian, and Jason. If you're listening, God bless you guys. I hope you come see me. Um, these guys would go to the same places of, of partying and all that stuff, and so they'd kind of make fun of me, like, well, what'd you do this weekend? You know, Mr., you won't go to the joints with us. And all that. What, what'd you do? I said, well, uh, on Friday after work, my fiance and I got together with three or four friends. Uh, we played cards, and we had a nice dinner, and, and just hung out with barbecue or whatever. And then the next morning, I mean, sat, Saturday morning, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I hiked down in the Black Canyon, and I caught wild trout all day. And I hiked out there. I was pretty tired at the end of the day, but it was a great time. It was fun. Uh, and then Sunday morning, I got up, had coffee, and I went and bought some donuts at Albertsons when we used to do that. Remember that, honey? I'd ride my bike to Albertsons, and I'd get a box of donuts. We'd polish them off, drink coffee, and read the newspaper. And, and then I went home, and I took a nap. And then Sunday night... We would, uh, or I would, uh, we had a Bible study, and we would just get together, and we'd have a Bible study, and we'd stay up till 10 o'clock at night and have a great time. And um, I felt great all week, and it was fun. Like, oh, man, guess what we did? I said, what? He goes, well, we went out Friday night, and we just got bombed. Woke up Saturday about 11 o'clock, and I was hurting. My head was pounding, so I started off with Bloody Mary, and then I just kind of milked it until Saturday night. Then I went out, and we went to the bars and partied again. And so I nursed a double hangover all day Sunday and watched some football, and I just feel like trash today. Right on, man. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. And so I'm going, how can you, how can you parallel? And I used to be that guy. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I wasn't. I was that guy. And then when you come to the other side of the fence and you get on the Jesus side of things and you see the energy and the life that comes from living in Christ and living according to His way, you go, I would never want to go back. That's like a dog re- returning to his, his vomit. And so Christians living the Christian life, being the salt of the earth, is, should show energy and flavor and zeal for life. Not just like, oh, woe is me. So when he's saying you are the salt of the earth, you are to be pure, you are to preserve, and you are to have a zeal that other people recognize and they see. Maybe I'm getting ahead of my conclusion here, but I'm looking at some of these faces and I'm wondering, are you the food or are you the salt? Which one are you? I mean, if you don't feel like you're the salt, it's, it's time to maybe make that, that step. Start recognizing who you are in Christ or recognizing if you need to get in Christ so that you can be who Christ has called you to be. After Jesus says these things, you are the salt of the earth, he also says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it saltiness be restored? If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. One commentator said this about that. Jesus went on to say that if the salt has become insipid, It was fit only to be thrown out and trodden on by men. This is difficult because salt does not lose its flavor and its saltiness. E.F.F. Bishop, in his book, Jesus of Palestine, Palestine, cites a very likely explanation given by Miss F.E. Newton. In Palestine, the ordinary oven is out of doors and is built of stone on a base of tiles. In such ovens, in order to retain the heat of a thick bed, in order to retain the heat, a thick bed of salt 
is laid under the tiled floor. After a certain length of time, the salt perishes. The tiles are taken up, the salt removed, replaced, and the old salt is thrown on the road outside the door of the oven. It has lost its power to heat the tiles, and it is thrown out. That may be well the picture here, but the essential point remains. Whatever the picture, and it is a point which the New Testament makes and remakes again and again and again. Uselessness invites disaster. Uselessness invites disaster. If a Christian is not fulfilling his purpose as a Christian, then he is on his way to disaster. We are meant to be the salt of the earth. And if we do not bring to life the purity, the antiseptic power, the radiance that we ought, then we invite disaster. We are called throughout Scripture to fight the fight, finish the race, to set an example in our lives, encouraged to stay the course. I'm going to finish with this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 3. For His divine power, God's divine power, has granted, granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through these precious and very great promises you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There is a corruption that's in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, meaning because you have escaped the corruption, for this reason, now that you have stepped from death to life, now that you are the salt of the earth, now that it's not commanded to be the salt, but you are the salt of the earth, because of that, for this very reason, make every, and this is talking to you, Guys, I wish I could call each one of you out by name. Brenda, Rod, Beck, this is calling to you. This is what the Bible is saying to you. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement. That word supplement means add. To supplement, to add to your faith with virtue, with virtue knowledge, with knowledge self-control, with self-control steadfastness, with steadfastness godliness, Godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is this, this teaching in Scripture that is saying, like Paul saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, don't give up. I am you, you are my ambassador for this world. I mean, I think it's in John 17 when it says that my prayer is not for them alone, but also those who, who, who are going to hear the gospel, that, that we might be united so that people will recognize that God sent Jesus. I mean, the whole purpose of our, of our lives here are to glorify God. And we're, some of you, oh, that's judgmental. No, that's fact. Some of you are living a life, whether it be through a lack of self-confidence, a, a lack of acknowledging who Jesus is in your life and what he's done for you, you're not, you're not living the life that God has prepared for you 
to give him glory so that other people can look at your life and go, what, is, what, is, what does she have that's different? What does he have that's different? And when then the conversation comes up, it's like, well, I have Jesus. I, I, have, I have met Jesus. I have walked with him. I have talked with him. He has, he has put his spirit within me so that I can live in a way that's glorifying to him and so that other people can see how awesome this life can be. But we're bombarded by this world that's this constant battle that's going on inside of us, this battle that's going outside of us. And it's a real struggle, and it's a real battle, and it's a real fight. And every one of us deal with that fight. I, I, I have, I'm having a, a really hard time getting past my intro, which is, you are the salt of the earth. This is who you are called to be when you are my disciple. The thing I, one of the things I loved about that, that resurrection movie last night and The Chosen is these are just regular people. I want you to think about this. These are just these are just normal folks. This is a high school kid that decides he's going to start seeking truth somewhere, and he, he ends up landing on Jesus. Jesus is truth. He tried it through drugs and, and, and other lifestyle choices. He's like, that's not it. Jesus was the truth. Jesus is what he was looking for. And it's not these great prophets that come about. It's not Moses, and it's not Aaron. It's not David and Samuel. It's not Ruth. It's not Naomi. It's, it's, it's people that aren't even mentioned in here. It's you guys. It's me. It's just normal, a builder, a banker, a mechanic, a nurse, a housewife, a manager. You name it. It's normal people that God is saying, you are going to keep this world from going rotten. Every day, we have the choice to be the salt. Every day. I chose yesterday. I don't even know if this is applicable, but I felt like, I didn't pat myself on the back, but I said, thank you, Jesus, for putting the patience in me to be a good example for my kids and not be a jerk. I was at the landfill yesterday. I love going landfill, especially when it's rained, because then the dust isn't all over, and you know it still smells like landfill, but at least it's not dirt blowing everywhere. And we had this big dump trailer and all this stuff filled in it, and there's a tarp, and we had two, you know, a bunch of uh, pallets on there. I don't even know if the kids recognize this or not. I don't think they're on the other side of the truck. And we pulled the pallets off. I, I was on the driver's side. I pulled the pallets off, and I set up, I dropped them on the ground. A truck backed up right next to me, this guy and his wife. She stayed in the truck. He got out. And I took this big brown tarp, and I just threw the tarp over, and I landed it right on the, uh, the pallet because I was going to save the tarp and put it back after we dumped the trailer. And I looked over, and he, the, the tarp hit the side of his truck, like leaned up against it. It's a, it's a tarp, and we're at the dump. And he kind of looks at me like this, throws it back at my truck, and I went, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. And I grabbed it, 
and I pushed a little bit, and he just grumbled. So I thought, maybe I ought to hit him. No, I didn't think that. He was a big guy. He's pulling, his, he's pulling his trash out, and he's got his tarp. So I walked over, and I stopped what I was doing. I walked over, and I pulled the tarp with him and dumped the, the leaves out. And I thought, I think that's what Jesus would do. I was trying to like not be this. I was trying, what would Jesus do in this moment? How could he be the salt in this particular moment? When it would be easy to be impatient or unkind or irritable, but instead Jesus would go, Poor guy, maybe he's just got in a fight with his wife. And they pulled up, and he's mad at the tarp, and now he's mad at me. But instead, just pull it out, and he goes, hey, thanks, man. I said, no sweat. Have a great day. And I, I felt better. <laughs> I felt blessed. I felt blessed. I'm telling you, the more I study this, this Sermon on the Mount, it's so awesome. It's so real. When we start applying it to our lives, there's these little changes. We just get better and better and more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like we get, the better we feel inside. And when I'm about, huh? Amen. When I'm about 90, I'm like, man, I might have this figured out. Then I'll die. Then I'll go home. Then I'll go home. Jesus, come back. <laughs> so, not Jesus, come back. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome uh, week this week. And uh, we have a communion homily. Who has communion this morning? Awesome. Okay. Brian. Uh, love you all. Be the salt. And we'll talk about light next week. All right, bring your sunglasses.